12 weeks ago, Junior and Silva feared no man in Mexico. Tremel and Alicia blew up in Cancun. Dennis and Andrew tanked in Stonehaven. Heather and Eve cheated in Lisbon. Michael and Kathy broke down in Fairs. Aaron and Ariane didn't see a way out in Marrakesh. Andre and Damon had an arrested development at Neuschwanstein Castle. John Vito and Jill drove each other crazy in Singapore. And Eric and Drew were Saigon in Ho Chi Minh City. Welcome to the final episode of an old season of Amazing Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who has used this podcast to learn how to stay positive no matter what, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who treated her children to a quick drop, 160 foot off a ledge into the oubliette for Christmas, Michelle Pierce Denvin. Morning. Good morning. How were your Christmases? <laughs> and I'm saying this fully in the knowledge that I'm blindsiding you, given we're not recording this anywhere near Christmas and this is coming out on Boxing Day. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, um, let me see. Um, I had a pork roast. <laughs> well, Have you actually done any planning for Christmas yet, Michelle? No. I can't even go to a shop. What are you talking about? Nothing's open. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to be in Sudan of all places for Christmas. And since it's mostly a Muslim country, there wasn't too many Christmas celebrations here. So that was an interesting place where Gina and I to spend Christmas together. I just love how this is the least Christmassy we have ever been for an episode that comes out around Christmas. <laughs> it's September. It's literally three months till Christmas. But you know what? I actually I was on Facebook last night and someone has put up their tree and, and I was so confused. I'm like, it is September, isn't it? It's like three months away. Are they Filipino? No, they're, they're American. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? How, you gotta, yeah, because the what's funny is that the the Canadian etiquette here is you have Thanksgiving, and then you have Halloween, and then Remembrance Day is on the eleventh. So then November twelfth is the first is when people are where it's considered respectful and proper etiquette to put up your Christmas decorations is after Remembrance Day is over, and that's not for another month and a half. Yeah, and in Australia here, we put it up generally after the 1st, December, 1st of December, or on the 1st of December. Yeah, anyway, go on. I think I've probably mentioned this before in the podcast, but I used to work in retail, and the earliest I ever heard a Christmas song was the 22nd of September on the oh. in-store radio. I basically, in the five and a half years that I worked retail, had the love of Christmas beaten out of me, and five years later, it's starting to come back finally. But... <laughs> You do not see a Christmas tree in the UK really until the 1st of December, unless you are like my friend who I was down seeing last week, who did not take his Christmas tree down last year and still has it up in his front room and is just not going to put it back up again for December. He's just going to leave it there now. <laughs> That's efficiency. It's a permanent fixture of his house just to have the Christmas tree in the corner. And this is a very fun finale. I know we say that a lot about this season, but I got goosebumps when Flo and Zach ran up to the finish line. It's definitely the one of the most memorable reality TV viewing experiences I, I ever had. Because I remember just the outrage in just within my house with three or four of us watching it at the same time, thinking, what? Flo wins this whole damn thing? Huh? And then <laughs> going to school the next day, my sixth grade school teacher was really into Amazing Race, and she said, I can't believe Flo won the Amazing Race. 
And then the daytime talk shows happen where they're on Caroline Ray. And then Caroline Ray says, how the hell did you win, Flo? Zach deserves 99, you know, the $990,000 of your 1 million prize pool. So, and then of course, Andy Denhart had that article at the time where I think his title was after screaming, yelling, threatening to quit. Flo somehow crosses the finish line first and wins the Amazing Race 3. Because you got to remember, it's not like we're 32 seasons deep into this where, oh, if, if there's a team you don't like that wins, you know, season 28 or Amazing Race Canada 6, whatever. There's a million reality TV seasons. You're going to have your bumps and bruises with winners along the way. But here, this was just Amazing Race 3, and it aired simultaneously with Survivor 5. And what we would have had only two seasons of Big Brother US at this point, too. So you got to think there's only 10 seasons total in the entire CBS catalog, in contrast to now, where it would be, what would we be hovering around? Over 100? About 100 reality TV winners now in, in the CB, just for CBS reality shows. So if you think of it that way, to have Flo as one of the 10 either winning contestants or winning teams, that that really, really stands out at the time. Yeah, I I know she went into this at the end of the episode, but it is so important to remember, Flo is the first woman to win The Amazing Race. And on top of that, you then have some of her behaviour from the rest of the season, which even she wouldn't defend now, 20 years later. But that's what makes it way more fun, is the fact that this proves literally anyone can win The Amazing Grace. Anyone. <laughs> literally anyone. Because yeah. up until this point in The Amazing Race, you obviously had two quite alpha all-male teams winning. So flow winning is even more important because it really does prove that you can cry and scream and bitch all the way around the world and still come in first. And just think all of the CBS winners up to that point, because you would have had Eddie and Dr. Will were the only two winners of the Big Brother. So even Big Brother didn't have a female winner at this point, and Eddie was super respected by the audience. Dr. Will was viewed as being really evil, conniving, and super smart. And then with Survivor, you had you would have had Hatch, Tina, Ethan, Basepia, and Brian Heideck as your winners there. That's a very strong five. That's a very competitive group of five winners. Sure, Basepia wasn't really all that well, Vesepi and Heideck, neither of them were really all that popular when they won, but both were viewed as very competitive and very well-rounded people. Here with Amazing Race, you have Robin Brennan, Chris and Alex fitting in with all the other CBS winners, and then Flo is your next CBS winner. <laughs> hmm. And then it's like, okay, she wasn't really that, com she wasn't viewed as competitive, like she wanted to quit constantly throughout the race. She voiced her frustration with everything going on, which none of the other winners ever had happened to them. They always rolled with whatever production threw at them. And she rarely, she, I mean, other winners, you could say, oh, you know, Vesepia didn't do anything, but it's like, well, she had a strategy. She won, she won challenges. She built relationships with everybody. She achieved the goals that she was supposed to. But here with Flo, on paper, you have it. Hey, there were 12 roadblocks or 11 roadblocks in the season. And... Uh, she only did one out of all of them, and in this two-hour finale, we see her do a detour task where a local Vietnamese person does the whole task for her. 
So you got to think, what did Flo really do within this finale other than make a couple phone calls to travel agencies? I mean, even within that, you see Zach, he was the one that arranged that, I think broke a production rule, which we'll get to in a second, but I'm sure that loophole has been closed right after the season ended. So yeah, it just fits in. Like how, how does Flo win a CBS reality show? It set a whole new, it lowered the bar on who could win, <laughs> which is yeah. amazing. It's amazing. And it, it also lays the groundwork for all of the following seasons. I don't think if Flo hadn't won or if someone like Flo hadn't won, I don't think Amazing Race would have been as long in the tooth as it is now. I don't think I would be bitching about this 20 years later going, oh, Amazing Race is shit now because it isn't as fun as Amazing Race 3 is. It's just, yeah. And and the fact that now after this season ends, you think, okay, it's not just, oh, all-male team, they're going to win for, for sure a young fit all-male team it's it's not they're not just going to win by default now it's okay other people can win this thing including including women women can win the amazing race <laughs> any woman can win the amazing race <laughs> i'm not saying this to antagonize michelle at all but i think flo is one of the most important winners in reality tv history yeah jesus big call because she just she proves inadvertently that you don't have to be a young, fit, all-male team to win. Because if you'd gone to, say, five, six seasons in a row of young, all-male teams, perfectly pleasant, not making any waves, going through the race and winning it at the end, I don't think Amazing Race gets recommissioned if it just becomes predictable. It has become predictable nowadays because you know the sort of people they're going to cast. You know the sort of thing they're going to do. You can read the edits. But at the time, in 2002, flow winning is a massive shock, but it also shows people at home that you don't have to be a young all-male team to win anymore. It's similar with Survivor when people, I'm sure in the early days of Survivor, they said, well, there's all these different things that you need to do to win Survivor, and then after a few seasons, people catch on whenever they're upset with the winner of, oh, okay. There isn't necessarily any specific criteria you need to do to win other than be the person who receives the most jury votes in the final travel council. That's the only thing you need to do to win Survivor in Amazing Race. It gets redefined this season as well of, okay, all you need to do to win Amazing Race is just cross that finish line first. How you get there is completely irrelevant. It's just you cross the finish line first, you deserve to win. And that's the yeah. same way with Survivor. You receive the most jury votes, you deserve to win. And that's why there was so much outrage at the time with Flo winning, because people had to think back and realize, okay, you just you just got to cross that finish line first. You, there's really no other objective or other criteria that you need to satisfy to get that million-dollar check. Yeah, Flo winning recalibrated what it takes to win a show like this. She's so vitally important to the winner's pantheon on these shows, and so vitally important to this season as a whole, and Amazing Race as a whole. And I don't think she gets nearly as much credit for it as she deserves. Well, good, because not everyone thinks the way a podcaster does, no, really. people are wrong. That's what it boils down to. <laughs> people are wrong. Oh, God. She still gets hate mail to this day. <laughs> yeah. 19 years later, she still gets people sliding into the DMs on Facebook, I believe, yeah. bitching about her winning. Yep. 
to quote my esteemed colleague, Mr. Saunders, Flo and Zach carry weight in the reality TV canon. And I think people, when they look back on this season, think, oh yeah, Flo and Zach winning was an asterisk to the season. It, it's just one of them things. But I don't think people give her and Zach as well nearly as much credit as they deserve. It was just the most talked about finale outcome, I think. I think maybe other than Uchen and Joyce winning, it's the most you could it's either one of those two seasons that are the mo- that have the most talked about amazing race episodes of all time. Yeah. So, previously, 12 teams set off from the Everglades on a race around the world. One by one, nine teams were eliminated, leaving just Terry and Ian, Ken and Gerard, and Flo and Zach. Terry and Ian were ancient, but ran the entire race without alliances. Flo and Zach looked for romance, but bickered while Flo started a relationship with a competitor, and Ken and Gerard laughed their way across the world, and came into the final three with the best record of the season. And thanks to Phil, right at the end of the last episode, we do get one final reminder that Terry and Ian are basically dead. <laughs> What's interesting too, when they when when Phil's doing the whole like recap of the season, he gets through all of it in about a minute. At this time in Survivor, if you were watching the Survivor Thailand finale, they easily spend five or six minutes recapping the whole season, if not longer. And the fact that for Mason Race was thinking, okay, we have so much to show in this, you know, in this one hour, we can just rattle through the nine eliminated teams and do a very, very brief summary of the season because there is a lot of content they still want to show. Yeah, this is a really packed finale, even by Amazing Race standards. Obviously, they've got hella lazy in more recent seasons, but this is actually quite mind-blowing how much travel they have to do in this finale. Well, yeah, they to very briefly summarize, it's what? Go to a route marker go to a travel agency, take another really long train. <laughs> 17 hours train. Oh God. 17 hour train ride. Fly to Hawaii via Japan. When you get to Japan, try and scramble onto that earlier flight that two of the teams said to do. And then uh, go to Hawaii. And then within Hawaii, you have to fly. You're, do- you're not just doing one island. You're doing two of the islands in Hawaii, which is pretty nuts. <laughs> And then you have to fly to Seattle from there. And that's all one leg. Yeah. And the route markers in Seattle are not close as well. No, they even said specifically after the, was it after they got the route marker at the Space Needle saying, oh, Lincoln, Lincoln Park, which it's tough to say the Lincoln Park with a straight face. Uh, the Lincoln Park route marker is quite a ways away. And then the finish line was the opposite side of town as well, I think. Yeah, it was. I've been to every route marker in the Seattle bit, apart from Lincoln Park. It's not close. Lincoln Park is Western Seattle. They even specifically said it in the uh, in the route marker. Yeah, they said there's still a lot of time for people to catch up. Hmm. So teams must now head to the Kwangmin Temple and find their next clue at Buddha's feet, and they have $250 for this leg of the race, and it's Terry and Ian leaving at 5.35am, Ken and Gerard at 5.52, and Flo and Zach at 8.02. <laughs> Terry and Ian say that they were underestimated by the other teams, but they managed to beat them. Ken and Gerard have very different strengths, but utilise them. And then we just get all the fun and stuff with Flo and Zach. Yeah, Flo saying, this is the first time... What was the... She had some amusing quotes. She began this leg by saying she feels better knowing that it's the final leg. And I have a note saying she also doesn't know it's another 17-hour train ride before they leave Vietnam. <laughs> and then what was it Zach saying? Then... I think Zach's first confessional was, 
Yeah, we didn't we didn't come around the whole world to quit <laughs> the same leg as the finish line. <laughs> I think, and, and Zach, I'm curious how far Zach would have pushed Flo to stay in the race. If she, like, how determined would Flo have to be to quit for Zach to say no? You're not quitting. <laughs> We're so damn close. I don't think I don't think she would have been able to quit with Zach there. I think he would have pushed her the whole way. Yeah, I think he would have rather come in third place and still cross the finish line rather than letting her quit. Because they had it, they, well, they do win, and and and, that, and at the start of the leg, you have Zach. He he knows they they can win this race. So to have Flo still threatening to quit, he's, he he, I bet you he would have gotten really aggressive if he absolutely had to to stay in this thing if Flo was really determined to quit. <laughs> yeah. And my favourite thing about the 17-hour train ride is they sneakily show us yet again Flo and Zach are there far too late to get a sleeper cabin, so they have to sleep on normal seats again. <laughs> yeah, they're the only team that didn't get a sleeper cab. That's hilarious. For the second Vietnamese train ride in a row, they have to sit on chairs again. <laughs> I'm sure Flo was upset about that, but they uh, they they didn't show it because they well I mean she already had a meltdown with the booking the flight to to Hawaii. There's only so many meltdowns you can show in a two hour finale. <laughs> yeah, because because what is it with Flo when I know we're skipping over the actually let I want to go back to the Ken and Gerard and Terry and Ian alliance at the travel agency. <laughs> we're gonna go back to the travel agent. Don't worry. Oh, God, we're never going to get anywhere here. <laughs> Jesus. Because because Ian's getting very aggressive with the travel agent from the moment he steps in there, because it's the final leg. So if you didn't think Terry and Ian were intense before, mm. I mean, this is the most, cru arguably, what they think is the most critical flight of the whole season. If you get the best flight, other teams may not get on, because this is the time where you where it's considered a possibility that you're alone on the flight to the finish line. It's not like nowadays where it's, oh, you know, we'll just casually stroll up to the ticket counter because we know it's going to be an equalizer. Production's going to make sure all three teams are on the same final flight together. Sometimes it's even pre-arranged where they're told, hey, you guys are flying business class to the final destination city. In season three, that was not the case. Sometimes they just hire them a plane. Yeah, sometimes they charter them a plane to get around for the whole season. Uh, but uh, but here in season three, that that wasn't a foregone conclusion. You could theoretically get a plane by yourself and leave everyone else in the dust and have zero competition in Seattle. So once teams get to Buddha's feet, they find out they have to take a 17-hour train ride to Hanoi and then fly to Honolulu, Hawaii. Due to Vietnamese rules, they have to buy a ticket at a travel agency in Da Nang before they enter the airport. What is that about? You have to have a ticket to enter the airport. So no one can greet a friend who's arriving from anywhere. No, you need to actually, as part of the Vietnamese visa laws, you do actually have to have a method of leaving the country. Because it's the same when you go on a cruise. On a cruise, you have to have a landing card when you come into the country, which they stamp, and then they stamp it again on the way out to say that you're leaving on evasion of the seas or whatever. But you can't go and, and welcome someone to the country because you can't get into the airport. I'm assuming that that is only for departures. You can oh, probably okay. go to the arrivals thing oh, and okay, pick someone yeah, up. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the same. The, the it's actually the same law in the Philippines because we're not allowed to enter any airports unless we we have our ticket in hand that we show to the police officer at the entrance of the airport. And then it's the same for arrivals too. Like G, like when I fly in and out of the Philippines, GN can't can't greet me at the airport at all. She has to be in the parking lot, like half a kilometer away. Like in because Manila Airport is so so busy that they have they have the weighing area sorted by letters of the alphabet. So depending on your partner's last name or your last name, that's where you go to see to meet up with whoever. Wow. So when when I visited Gian for the first time at the end of my around the world trip, when I flew back to Manila for us to uh, get together again, I had a, I landed at like three o'clock in the morning in Manila. And Gian and I had only met in person twice before this, right? <laughs> we just had the two the two days in Boracay together. So when I landed in Manila, she couldn't come into the airport, and I had to figure out how to get to this other separate uh, lot outside. And she's only four foot eleven, and there's crowds of hundreds of people trying to welcome whoever they're meeting up with to drive them back home, right? So she's trying to get her head out of the crowd, saying "Logan, Logan," <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, there she is." <laughs> so yeah, I think it's quite common. I think, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Asian countries do that in uh, in general. I, I feel like it's happened many times before on Amazing Race when they're in Asia, where they have to have that ticket booked at the travel agency before they're allowed inside the airport. I think it's it's mainly it's mainly a security measure. Mm, interesting. Yeah, because they don't want just anybody in the airport. It's not like Canada or States or anything where anyone can just go in and hang out inside. <laughs> and then we get to the travel agents. Yeah. Terry and Ian have the lead, and then Ian is just very, very intense here. When Ken and Gerard show up, then Ian goes behind the ticket counter and Ken and Gerard roll their eyes at the camera. It's a great shot because it's a scene where Ian's completely unaware of how he's coming across to everyone <laughs> around him. And then Ken even says out loud, thinking, or Ken and Gerard say to each other, like, this is, this is just embarrassing for us because they're representing Americans there, right? So Ken even says, uh, Ian, can we... Can we have a, can we a, have powwow. a little pow- powwow over here? And Ian says, I have two more questions, and then we'll powwow. <laughs> My favourite thing about this is the fact that, assuming there wasn't too much of a delay to go to the uh, the temple and Buddha's feet, and then the travel agent, this poor travel agency lady had 17 minutes of Ian shouting at her, basically, before Ken and Gerard come in. It's a fair assumption that she had at least like 15 minutes of very strong conversation with Ian. <laughs> and what's funny is that when Ken and Gerard initially show up there, Ian says, oh, do not tell them what we are doing. But that changes very quickly because Ken has to call Ian over. When Ian eventually agrees to the powwow, he says, Ian, she is very intimidated by you. And Ian's like, what? I've been getting along with her fantastically. <laughs> Those were his exact mm-hmm. words. I've been getting along with the lady fantastically. She invited me behind the counter, and Ken says, "No, she did not invite you." <laughs> it goes back to something that I said earlier in the season, and it's why I love Terry and Ian as characters because Ian a hundred percent does not realize how he comes across to people, and it is never more evident in the season than in this scene. 
He just has no idea how he comes across to people. It's a it, well. Gerard's a financial advisor. Ken is a was a casting director for quite a long time. Not not for I don't think for reality TV, but just a, I think he worked in casting for like TV and movies. I think for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just funny you have two people who know really know how to talk to people, and then you have Ian who was in the military. He was an undercover cop, so the way he talks to people is going to be very different than how Ken and Gerard talk to people every day at their jobs. <laughs> and then eventually Terry steps in and agrees with Ken and Gerard and, and, tell, and Terry tells Ian, okay, okay, they're, they're saying let Gerard talk, so let Gerard talk. And then Ian tries to talk right away, and then and then Gerard tries to chime in, and then Ian throws up his hand and says, fine, just do it, I'll sit here. And then hmm. Ken, and I think to diffuse the situation, not let Ian feel as embarrassed, Ken sits with Ian, so that's not just Ian sitting by himself and essentially in timeout like a seven-year-old. So Ken sits with Ian, and then and then Ian just like I, I, I'm telling you, before you guys got here, me and this lady, we were we were getting along well, and we were holding hands. <laughs> and I'm thinking I can't picture Ian just holding hands with somebody and skipping down to the freaking yellow brick road as if he's going to Oz or to the Emerald City. Well, I guess they eventually do go to the Emerald City, but. That's, that's later on in this leg. <laughs> in the same way that this season does not work nearly as well without Flo and Zach, it does not work nearly as well without Terry Neen and Ken and Gerard. This is, as you said last week, probably the best final three in any Amazing Race season ever, and potentially any reality TV season ever. It is a very, very strong final three. It's just that they bounce off of each other so well, and there's no one else left in the whole damn race for them to interact with. Derek and Drew are gone, so that Flo spent a lot of time with with Drew before, but she doesn't have that option. So now she has to spend more time with with uh, with Ken Gerard, or she calls him Kenny. And then you can try like, well, either we interact with Flo and Zach, who are a couple hours behind us, or we interact with uh, Terry and Ian. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's just funny that the, you have to have these three teams that have no one else to interact with, so they only talk to each other, and it's a very, very long final leg, so we get a lot of these ridiculous interactions. And Gerard eventually books the tickets on behalf of both teams in a final three situation. Yeah, it's worth bearing in mind that this final leg is at least two and a half days long. From start to finish, there is a lot of travel in this leg. Yeah, it's a 17-hour train ride, and then I think it's a 14-hour flight from Tokyo to um, to Hawaii, something like that. And then it's another hour-long flight to um, to the second island in Hawaii, then back to Honolulu, and then on to Seattle, which is probably at least another four hours. And then there's an hour of operation as well on top of that. Yeah, I've flown from Hawaii to Seattle before, and I remember it was, it was at least a five-hour flight. Yeah. This is a very long final leg, even by old Amazing Race standards. If I'm not mistaken, for season 32, the first route marker was in New Orleans, and Will and James, after they got to the first route, from the first route marker to the finish line, was probably uh, under two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but here in this leg, from the Buddhist Feet Temple, from their first route marker to the finish line, yeah, two, two and a half days at least. Yeah, I would put it as a conservative estimate at two and a half days. Because they still had all the layover time, too. Yeah, because it's it's at least like six hours from, from Hanoi to Tokyo Haneda. Then they've got the layover, 
and then they've got another what 14 hour flight i think it was see i don't mind traveling though traveling's good because you get to rest and recuperate for the next bit i mean i'm i'm quite happy to travel i don't get tired by traveling but obviously some people it doesn't work well for them yeah i'm not built for planes though that's the problem i'm six five i don't sleep on planes that's annoying (laughs) it's one of the many reasons that i would never do amazing race is because i would be like Flo. i would be so unbelievably ratty by the end of the season if i made it that far because i am very uncomfortable on a plane and you got to keep in mind they are not just sitting on a plane doing nothing their readings for like zach i'm sure read those tour books of seattle from cover to cover oh yeah yeah we even see this in, not to skip ahead, but in the season four finale, we even see uh, Riken and Chip trying to figure out the exact address in Phoenix while they're while they're flying and trying to figure out exactly how to get there from the airport to the destination. So Flo and Zach find out that there are no economy flights left, only business class. And Zach says that one of his biggest jobs in the race is just to make sure that Flo is okay. If not the biggest. And my biggest job is making sure Flo is okay. My second job is actually racing. <laughs> but they do end up booking the business class flights and try and swap them for economy on the way, and then board the same train as Terry and Ian and Ken and Gerard. It's very interesting, because I, I, I didn't remember this exact thing happening, because I, I don't think it's happened ever happened before, and it hasn't happened since. So I'm guessing when Zach does this, producers are thinking, hmm... Somebody's booking business class, but not intending to honor them. I guess it's if you sit in that business class seat that you purchased, that's when you've broken a rule and you're out of the race. I guess it's fine to just spend money on it with the intention of switching into economy and only honoring the economy class if you get it. So I think as soon as they cross the finish line, that that loophole gets closed and says, no, you cannot book business class seats and refuse to honor them and knowing fully well that you're going to be switching to economy class later, like six hours later. In the same way that Zach probably spent most of the flights looking at tall books, do you think he spent most of the um, the pit stops looking at the rules to see what he could exploit? <laughs> yeah, because this is a genius move. I think this move alone, it gives, I mean, this gives them really the win. Otherwise, they don't get on that flight. No, they would have had to look for an alternative route, and I don't think there are too many direct flights from Asia to uh, to Honolulu, being honest, especially in 2002. Yeah, so I think this was just a genius move because they would have had to board the train. Maybe during the train, they just keep calling, waiting to see if seats freed up on economy, and maybe they get the seats anyway that way, but... I mean, this is it's pretty genius as a backup plan to be, to say, okay, I'll buy business class and just hope sometime in the next 18 hours I can switch to economy. Yeah, because it gets them into the airport. That's the important thing. It gets them through the door in, uh, in Hanoi when they arrive. And then there's all these different kiosks and travel agencies with their, the airlines are all inside the airport that you can talk to and say, hey, uh, we've got a problem. <laughs> Is there any chance? Yeah. Is there any chance with this audio crew and this camera crew that you can possibly squeeze us onto the flight and not look like major assholes on American television in the process? Fingers crossed. 
So Zach does end up bringing a travel agent from a stranger's phone on the train to try and get economy tickets somewhere. They manage to find a travel agent in Hanoi who will sell them economy tickets, and not just economy tickets, but tickets that will get them in earlier than the other two teams are booked. That is a pretty baller move. Note to self, book with a guy named Zoom in Vietnam. After the last year, everyone is really, really sick of Zoom, but yes. not anymore. <laughs> I thought that as soon as I heard his name, I'm like, oh no, don't bring up the word Zoom. Believe me, if there was literally any way I could never have to do a Zoom call again, I would. They are the worst. But not this one. <laughs> it's a big switch from Flo and Zach initially at the travel agency, where Flo says, just get me a flight to JFK. I'm not joking, I'm thinking... JFK would be further away than SeaTac. She's going to fly over the finish line quitting. Yeah, I'm thinking, you said literally, God, I don't know whether it was 24 hours before or whatever, I'm not quitting again. There you go. Nowadays, you probably would if you couldn't get on a flight from Tokyo to, uh, to Honolulu. You'd probably go to Tokyo and get one to LA or something and then just fly back from LA. That's what I'd do. Because there's a lot of options. It just wouldn't be your first go-to. No, but you definitely would have had more options from from Tokyo now than you did at the time. At the time, if you missed that, that connection, you're absolutely stuffed, I suspect. So Ken and Gerard and Terry and Ian get to the airport for 5am, but they don't know where Flo and Zach are. They instead are at a Sofitel hotel picking up their tickets from Mr. Zoom's friends. Mr. Huey. And Dewey and Louie. Hmm. Everyone's on the same flight to Tokyo, but Flo and Zach have a connection that is earlier, but their behaviour makes Ken and Gerard suspicious, who investigate better connections and find the earlier flight as well. <laughs> Which makes Terry and Ian suspicious. <laughs> yeah, Terry and Ian then also find out there's an earlier connection, but it only has one seat left, and they instead are on the second flight, leaving 75 minutes later. However, due to a weather delay, Ken and Gerard and Flo and Zach leave with only a 15-minute lead. This is very complicated. How amazing. And then there's a, an American in the airport named John who sees Terry and Ian suspicious, and he's thinking, what are all these people doing trying to... Maybe there is a better flight. And then John gets on this better flight. And then and then there's this woman named Kim. She's, she gets suspicious of John. <laughs> so once they land in Honolulu, they have to drive 20 miles to Puana Point, where they will receive a blessing from a kahuna along with their next clue. However, it does not open until 10 a.m. And do you hear uh, Ian's new nickname for Ken and Gerard? No. <laughs> Secret Squirrel and Rocky. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's a very dated reference. It is, isn't it? God. <laughs> and that is only because Gerard ran down some steps shouting for Adrian. <laughs> Adrian. Oh, it's good that Philadelphia wasn't the finish line. Did you clock where Ken and Gerard went on the way to the uh, the Kahuna route marker as well? Oh, or, what Flo, or where Flo thought they went to? Yeah, Flo asked if they went to Mickey D's on the way. Yeah. And they said yes. Yep. I missed it. <laughs> and this is another reality TV connection, because Mickey D's was one of the main clues of the Mole US 2, which also aired in 2002, eventually. Yeah, because Flo actually jumps out in front of Ken Gerard's car, and I'm thinking... Wow, that would have been a twist if, if just Ken just ran Flo over. <laughs> well, it's one way to make sure they win. Yeah. 
and and it's funny because minutes earlier Flo says, "I think we're destined to win now," and then and then she gets run over by a car, and then yeah, Flo Flo goes up to Ken and says, "Where'd you go, Mickey D's? I'm so hungry," and then Ken says, "Oh, uh, you, oh, don't stop! You can't you can't be whining right now. It's too early. It's only eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early for you to have a flow down." So yeah, Terry and Ian catch up by 10 o'clock, and then teams find out they have to fly to Kauai and drive to Wailua State Park, where they will find their next clue. And it's Ken and Gerard who are first to arrive, and they find harnesses, which they must put on. And Zach immediately assumes when he sees the harnesses that it's going to be base jumping or something, and Flo is annoyed that it isn't a choice for them to put the harnesses on. <laughs> no choice! Oh, um, Manel got equalised at the Kahuna ceremony. Ian and Gerard have a funny interaction where Ian's like, oh, this is great. The playing field is level again. And Gerard puts on the most sarcastic face and says, I can't tell you how excited I am to have a level playing field, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be perfectly honest. There is no way in hell that that place actually had an hours of operation of 10 o'clock. They literally no. just did it to equalize these teams. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They almost certainly did it just because they knew the weather in Tokyo was that bad that someone could get delayed. And let's be real, they already had a two and a half day leg. They didn't want to stretch it to three and a half. What's funny with the when they were driving to the uh, detour after they leave the ceremony, Gerard says, "Huh, Flo is back in the states and is calm, cool, and collected. So I guess she's the threat again." <laughs> now I should be worried. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, that's pretty much the tone of hmm. Flo was joking around with us about Mickey D's. She seems herself. She doesn't seem exhausted. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's we're not racing against the big Kahuna's anymore. I think from her tone, she has probably been to Hawaii before, and she's probably been to Seattle before because she was very excited at both of them when they revealed. I don't know for certain, but I suspect there may have been an element of hometown advantage not necessarily but Flo has been there on holiday or something Mm. and I think well I think the biggest factor is Hawaii and Seattle a bit different from Vietnam yeah there's at least less humidity for her maybe less humidity in Seattle than Hawaii but it's probably a little bit more manageable for her in Hawaii and there's no cultural shock right there's nothing there's no. it's gonna be very comfortable they were driving con- i mean the flo- suddenly flo is a lot happier when she's in her own country and driving in a convertible who knew that was the solution <laughs> <laughs> so the detour is quick drop or slow walk in quick drop teams have to take a 160 foot zip line from the top of a waterfall and then swim to the clue box hidden behind the waterfall containing their next clue and in slow walk, teams have to walk down a long and winding road to reach the back of the falls and the very same clue box. Normally I ask you which one you guys would do, but I suspect I probably know the answer because this is a trick detour. I don't know, it's a tough choice. <laughs> Zipline! <laughs> I did a zipline last week. <laughs> I did a few, actually. As part of my trip to London, I did a high-wires course and uh, I did a fair few ziplines on that. I just hate the stop. Oh, well, not to go into it too much, but the one that I did is is Go Ape, and they have they're famous for their Tarzan swings. So you attach yourself to basically a zip line, and it swings you into a cargo net. However, 
it does drop you first. So you drop off this platform and probably go down about 10 feet before the zip line kicks in. And you shit yourself every time if you make Because <laughs> I forget every single time that it drops you about 10 feet. And it already takes me long enough to work myself up to doing that. <laughs> well, it's good that you forget about it, hey? Genuinely, I've done these things twice. And both times I've made sure that I am far enough ahead of everyone uh, who's also in my group so that I have enough time to psych myself up to doing it. And I leave the platform and go, oh, this isn't too bad. Drop. Ah, fuck. And then swing into the net. <laughs> Both times it's happened. And I forget about the drop. Jeez. Oh, I don't know. I just, but I end up going so fast down these zip lines that I think right now, right near the end, oh, that's right, I have to stop. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, I think we'd all do the the zip line, wouldn't we? Yeah. We definitely. wouldn't do the, uh, the long and winding road. No way. It's way more fun anyway. Yeah, exactly. And my favourite comment of the entire detour is Flo saying she's going to go out doing something a little bit risky, so they're allowed to do quick job this time. Jeez. And then teams find out that they have to fly to their final destination city of Seattle, Washington, and take a taxi to Kerry Park, where their next clue awaits. Zach says that he's learned that no matter how much Flo says she can't do things, she is always ready to go. And I include that quote because it harks back to our previous conversations about the comparisons between Flo and Brooke and how Brooke just slikes herself up for things in a different way. And she always does things. It's funny with the quick drop too when Flo and Zach initially do it where where, uh, Flo opens the clue and says, oh, she like this is the most playful we've seen Flo in quite a while in the race where she says, oh, detour, do everything, whatever you have to do, blah, 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 and just hands the clue to Zach. And then Zach takes the time to read the entire quick drop clue, and then the whole time Flo says, fine, 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 whatever, whatever, I'll do it. And then he just, he just keeps reading, and it'll be a really quick zip line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't forget, you are jumping off a waterfall here, Flo. Yeah. So Ian says that he's terrified by the idea of the zip line, but they'll have to try and do quick drop just to catch up to the other teams because they don't know that they're flying to Seattle yet. And then we get a scene of everyone explaining why they're going to win. Only one of them will be telling the truth. And then teams have to now travel on foot to the International Fountain underneath the Space Needle, where they will find their next clue. Jeez, I want to go back to Terry and Ian, though, because Ian had an amusing line when they were arguing in the car over Ian not wanting to do the quick drop. And Terry's like, yeah, I'm proud of, proud of Ian for doing that. He, he, only had to, he only had to think about it twice. And then he says, I never thought about it twice. I only hesitated twice. <laughs> Thinking, when did Ian become the, you know, the... The grammar Nazi, you know? <laughs> and then, what else? I had another... Oh, it would have been really humiliating if when Ian was hesitating twice, if he says, no, no, I've decided I'm not going to not gonna do the quick drop, we're going to do the slow walk. And then when he gets someone watches on TV, he sees Flo did the quick drop, but he didn't. That would have been pretty damn embarrassing. And in an unaired uh, bit of the quick drop task, what happened is they actually went out over the waterfall and then it just did a surprise bungee jump. <laughs> so Flo and Zach purchased a guidebook so Zach knows exactly where he's going in Seattle. And my very favourite thing of the entire finale, other than the ending obviously, is a very quick thing that I don't think either of you will have noticed. But we see so much of everyone running between Kerry Park and the International Fountain but there is one small little glimpse at Ian running. And he runs with his shoulders perfectly square without moving his arms. And it is honestly the funniest thing. 
Yes, it was very strange. And I thought, I'm not rewinding to look at that again, but that was really weird. I never noticed that. Yeah, he runs with his shoulders perfectly square, basically. And he's never run like that in the rest of the season, I don't think. Yeah. But we just get like a good one or two second glimpse of him running with Terry, but he doesn't move his arms. He just moves his legs. Yeah, because he didn't run like that. He didn't run like that when they were running up. Remember when all the teams were running up that hill with the grass and stuff? He didn't run like that then. No, he. this is the only time during the season we've seen him run like this, and it's really odd. So once teams do get to the International Fountain, they find they have to get a taxi to Lincoln Park in western Seattle, where they'll find their next clue. And everyone has trouble getting cabs, except Flo and Zach. What a shame that Flo and Zach are instead arguing about Zach giving them the wrong directions and putting them into last place. Yeah, Zach says, I took us to the fountain. And then Flo says, no, you took us to the Space Needle. And then she physically gestures, the fountain is here, and the needle is here. <laughs> there is a difference, Zach. And now we're going to lose because, or what was her one quote? I'm really going to get mad. Stop giving me the wrong directions if you're not sure. And I'm thinking, well, the next two route markers are just taxis, so... Technically, Zach never gives you a wrong direction for the rest of the season because there's nowhere to be given wrong directions to. <laughs> have you been to many of the Seattle route markers, Logan, out of interest? It would have been probably over 20 years ago. <laughs> the reason I ask is because I've been to all of them apart from Lincoln Park. And Kerry Park really is not a landmark. Kerry Park is on the side of a housing estate, basically. It is... A very, very small park, arguably overlooking the uh, the city of Seattle, but it's not that much of a landmark. That's probably why Terry Ian's taxi driver didn't know, and he said, well, I'll just follow the other two cabs, and then Ian blows up and says, well, they're out of sight, so you better drive fast to catch up to them. Like, the International Fountain is a massive landmark, and everyone knows where it is, and you can see the Space Needle from pretty much anywhere you're in Seattle. Gasworks Park, pretty major landmark. Kerry Park is a patch of grass by the side of some houses. It's by far the most obscure route marker in this entire leg. Maybe they wanted obscure to split them up. Yeah, it would have been far more of a challenge to say, initially, go to the International Fountain and then send them to Kerry Park, and then try and get them to get the cabs from Kerry Park, because they would have really struggled. Mm. Or run to Kerry Park, try to get directions to a really obscure park. Well, that's what I mean, run from the International Fountain to Kerry Park and then have to get the cabs to uh, to Lincoln Park after that. They would have yeah. really struggled. So the roadblock when they arrive at Lincoln Park is who has a good memory, and in this roadblock, one team member must use a guide to spin a totem pole to show the order of five animals that they saw in previous legs of the race. When it is correct, the bottom of the totem pole opens to reveal their final clue, and it is Zach, Ian, and Gerard during this roadblock. This roadblock is, of course, noticeable, as the first final memory challenge of the Amazing Race. What's funny is when Zach reads the roadblock clue, he said, oh, that person should have a good memory. Uh, you want to do it, Flo? No. She's like, no. Yeah, Zach has a really, really smug expression on his face, like, well, I guess I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> knowing, knowing full well that Flo was going to say no the whole time. And what's funny is that with this mem memory task, in quotation marks, is... It was so easy. It was just the five very distinct animals in the order that they encountered them. So it was. It would be really easy for anybody to do that task. So in terms of that roadblock in at the or 
in terms of that roadblock at Lincoln Park, in the end, it didn't even matter who they chose. Yes, Logan, I know you've been waiting to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) It's a reference to a song by the band Lincoln Park, Michelle. Oh, okay. They have a song, a very, very famous song called In the End. Have you ever heard of Lincoln Lincoln Bark, Michael? Oh, is that a dog-themed version of Lincoln Park? Yeah, I've been shown. To the, my coworkers showed me that clip multiple times at the pharmacy over the years. Oh, you want to listen to Lincoln Bark again? No. <laughs> this is also a very atypical final memory challenge. Final memory challenge in, in quotation marks, as you said, because two of these animals, at least one of these final three teams did not encounter on the race. Because it was the donkey, which Flo and Zach did not encounter on uh, leg one. Then it was the dolphins, which everyone encountered because that was a roadblock. Then it was the horses from uh, Morocco, which only Ken and Gerard encountered. Yeah. Then it was... I know the manatees is the final one, which Flo and Zach didn't encounter and neither did Ken and Gerard. What's the fourth one? Goats. All of them encountered the goats in Switzerland. And then two of these final three teams did not encounter the manatees in Singapore. So if they hadn't given them the guide, it would have made it significantly more difficult. Mm. It should also be noted that uh, on the first leg that Ken and Gerard also did not encounter the donkeys because they had to fast forward. Yeah, they didn't. I forgot about that. But it's very weird looking back now, nearly 20 years later, to see a final memory challenge where arguably... Two of these teams could have gone, well, how am I supposed to know about these things? Especially with the manatee clue, because it wasn't, in the end, labelled as manatees in the detour clue. It was just the mermaids of the sea. Mm. They must have been yeah, given some sort of... Well, there was a big note on the next to the roadblock, so I'm sure there was something where they were able to fill in that gap for the team, so they were capable of doing the roadblock as easily as they all did. Yeah, I'm assuming that... There were no decoy animals on those totem poles. It was just to spin them in the order you saw them, or you would have seen them. Yeah. Because, arguably, in a later season, you would have had a team go, well, you've cheated me out of a million dollars there. Mm. Yeah, like, by uh, by today's standards, they would not be doing a memory task that, final memory tasks that all teams were privy to. No, as a general rule, they don't include any information on a final memory challenge that was from a detour just in case a team who didn't do that detour didn't encounter it. You tend to see a lot of roadblock-related things and a lot of active info-related things on any memory challenge, but never much when it comes to a detour, unless all three teams remaining had done that detour. So Zach leaves in first, and teams must now make their way to Gasworks Park, the finish line for this season of Amazing Race. The first team to arrive will win $1 million and the Amazing Race. And it is Ian who leaves in second. And Flo thinks that they're in second as no one's seen Ken and Gerard, but they're good guys, so she'll just be happy for them if they've won. Meanwhile, Zach is literally sat next to her going, well, you know, I'm pretty confident that we've won here. Don't rule it out. <laughs> and then Flo says, second place is fine with me. Ken and Gerard are good guys. I'm sorry I've been a pain in the ass the whole trip. This is where you say I haven't been a pain in the ass, Zach. And then Zach says, you haven't been. <laughs> it's like, I'm not begging for this at all. But, you know, I haven't been a pain in the ass, have I? Yeah, it's on camera. You've been a perfect partner, Flo. I've never had any issues with anything you've done in the past 12 legs. 
you were in it. You were you 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 never gave up. You 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 carried your weight at all the roadblocks. You are an A plus partner. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Not yeah, to a Borat. See, this is four years, five years before Borat came out. Mm. Not. I mentioned this to you guys earlier, but I genuinely got like goosebumps when it came to the finish line and Flo and Zach running up. And I never got that at the time when I first watched this season because Flo and Zach are just such fun characters. So are Terry and Ian and Ken and Gerard. But Flo and Zach are such important characters and so fun throughout the entire season that it's just brilliant seeing them win again. I've never seen a team step onto the finish line and assume they are second place. Hmm. And think that the first place team are hiding. <laughs> yeah, Flo says, you see Ken and Gerard? Or... And then Zach says, oh, I, I think they're hiding. That sounds like something Kenny would do. And then they get to the mat, and then they, they're still thinking they're second. And then Flo has to have the other the other nine teams that are there say, no, you won. And then Flo says, what, we won? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Phil's just standing to the side going, let me do four consonants over 40,000 miles, 10 countries. Just let me say it. Stop talking over me, Flo. When did he start doing that? He's always done that, I think. But he didn't do it. He did. He he did say four continents, ten countries, and over forty thousand miles. It's just that Flo was going shut up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. To the rest of the teams. And even after Phil says, "You are the official winners of the Amazing Race," Flo says, "Are you sure?" Like Ken and Gerard aren't going to pop up from underneath the finish line man and say, "Surprise, surprise, fuckers, we won." <laughs> Do you think that nowadays editors would edit Flowens that differently? Yep. I don't think so. Why do you think so? Why? Social media. But but what about Brooke and Scott? I mean, Brooke didn't get that much of a different edit. I don't think they ever undermined Brooke in the same way that they undermined Flo in this season. Mm. It's very rare that I will agree with people when they say, I got a really bad edit. But Flo got a really bad edit, especially for someone who wins. And even in um, during the Portugal leg on the train, even the producer went up to her and said, "Flo, you you really you really swear too much. You know, like we're we're gonna have a tough time editing you in a positive way." And then Flo just dismissed him essentially. So I think even on, on during filming, and then there's been rumors over the years that producers just were not. Or, the, or I guess the, it would be more the camera and audio crew who were with Flo the whole time saying, oh, I really don't like Flo. Whoever's in charge of editing this season, please just bury her as much as you can. And they certainly did. <laughs> I don't think you could edit around the Vietnam meltdowns. I think you have to tell that as the two-episode arc that it is. But I think a lot of the rest of the season, you could have edited Flo a bit better. Well, even during this two-hour finale, I mean, Flo had a lot of negative footage from start to end in this two-part finale. So we got the Vietnam leg and then this America finish line aired on the same night. So by the end of that, you're thinking, oh, you're in the last few minutes where Ken and Gerard are in first place, and then Flo and Zach get to that roadblock first, thinking, no, Flo and Zach aren't going to win this thing, are they? No, there's a cab ride still. Flo is maybe Flo won't even get out of the taxi. I don't know. And then Flo and Zach get onto that finish line first, and the second that happens, everyone's thinking, "How? 
how is this allowed? Can't Phil just say, nah, Flo, you don't deserve to win. Well, we'll just we'll just give it to whoever comes in second. I think they probably intended for it to be a proper redemption arc, and that's why it was a double finale. But is it is was it depicted as redemption? Yeah, I don't think it worked as well as they thought it would in terms of a coherent story. God no. I think if they'd shown episode twelve separately from episode thirteen, I think people would have been a lot less angry at Flow. Well, we're even gonna see by family edition that we're going to have the Weaver family who gets a lot of negative feedback from the audience and then everyone around the Weaver family over the years says Weavers were a lot worse than what was shown on TV. So you can't help but think that, hmm, maybe after how negative the reaction was to flow that maybe they try to give whoever crosses the finish line, may not even necessarily win, a slightly more positive edit, especially when how often people get attacked on social media. I'm sure if they wanted to go further in on Brooke, they would have during season 29. Yeah, I think if you ask pretty much anyone who raced with Flo in this season what she was actually like, I don't think anyone has too many negative words to say about her. Yeah, the contestants all say good things about Flo, yeah. And by her own admission, I think Flo knows that she was a petulant child on this season. And she's not that woman 19 years later. And that's what it boils down to. If anyone out there is slipping into Flo's DMs on Facebook and still giving her grief 19 years later, take a long, hard look at yourself. Because she is not the same person that she was 19 years ago. It'd be funny, like, another 19 years from now, if she's still getting DMs saying, I am 70 years old and I remember watching your season back in 2001. It's 2043, World War III just ended, and I'm still pissed with how you treated (laughs) Zack on The Amazing Race. If you ever want to give anyone grief who's won The Amazing Race, just look at season 30. They were reprehensible people. Slide into their DMs. Give them what you want. They deserve it. (laughs) They're not 20 years older. They're not 20 years older. They're just terrible, terrible people. Okay. And then, straight after Flo and Zach, I think it was only about two minutes later, Terry and Ian come around the corner, and they are second place for the season. And then Kenadrad tossed both of their bags and their money on the backseat of the cab to run to the finish line and check in in third. One thing I distinctly remember after the se- the season ended is that people wonder, oh, Survivor does a final two, Big Brother does a final two. Why doesn't the Mason Race do a final two? And what's funny is the argument back then was always, well, there's always a third team who falls out of it. But Ken and Gerard, Ken and Gerard's third place finish is still better than a lot of season second place finishers in terms of how far they're behind the winners. Ken and Gerard, I think, are less than 10 minutes behind Flo and Zach. Like, this was, and I mean, they even run into Terry and Ian on the way out of the final roadblock, and Terry and Ian were less than two minutes behind Flo and Zach. So I, I never really buy into that, oh, you need to have a final three at the end of Amazing Race in case you have one team that's nowhere close. And it's like, well, you can, you still have, you have editors, don't you? (laughs) The third place team will always look like they're out of it because, of course, you want to show the closest result possible. I think it was genuinely very close. But also, imagine if it did end up being a final two and Flo and Zet went home at, at final three here. You then would have had probably Terry becoming the first woman to win the Amazing Race. 
And then you get the question of, should they have edited Terry and Ian slightly differently to make them palatable winners? Because as much as I love Terry and Ian, they are a bit abrasive in this season. You would have ended up with Flo and Zach going home on a leg when Flo essentially quits and is two hours behind first place, but also gets into a massive clash with the eventual winner of the season. I don't think they would have edited Terry and Ian any differently because as people, they're quite abrupt, sharp, and they don't have a lot of lovey-dovey sort of thing. I don't think they would in their real life. So I don't think they would have been able to pad it with a lot of feely, emotional, mushy stuff. I think it would have just all been that, that kind of interaction. I think from a production standpoint, out of this final three, they probably wanted it to be Ken and Gerard just because they're big, fun characters. And Phil really, really likes Ken and Gerard. It's, it's his favourite team of all time. Yeah, at least it was pre-All-Stars. I'm not sure if it is anymore, but... He's mysteriously not commented on that since. But I think for the show as a whole, it is actually far more important to either have Flo and Zach or Terry and Ian win the season. As much as I love Ken and Gerard, and believe me I do, we're going to get to that fairly soon, I think it is far more important for the show that you prove that someone like Flo, or a team as old, in inverted commas, as Terry and Ian can win this show. You need some sort of groundbreaking winner at this point in the show to sustain its viability. Mm. Like, imagine if, say, Derek and Drew won this season. Everyone mm. is going to say, well, what's the point of watching Amazing Race when the young, fit, all male team wins every damn time? <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. That's what I mean. As much as Derek and Drew are interesting characters, and on any other season, they probably would have been like top half of characters for me. You don't want to see a young, fit, all-male team win three in a row because it just becomes very predictable. Well, if Ken and Gerard got that damn taxi a little bit faster, they would have won the season, then we would have had Riken and Chip win season four, and you would have had first four seasons of Amazing Race all swept by men. Of course, then they get cancelled. Uh, you know, Amazing Race gets cancelled after season four, and we have to wait a year until they bring it back for a fifth season, thinking, eh, maybe we'll get a couple more seasons of Amazing Race. Fast forward 30 seasons later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you if you have all-male teams win the first four seasons, I don't think they even really consider it for season five because all they're thinking is, hmm, we don't know how to avoid the same old team winning every single damn time. Or they could pull an Amazing Race can and just say, okay, no alpha male teams. We need, we need women to win the season, so let's have 50% of the cast be women and have older male teams who won't do as well and a bunch of strong co-ed teams all right we're all set <laughs> so zach says that he learned during the season how to stay positive all the time and Flo finishes the season by saying she knew a woman had to win the race eventually but didn't think it was her just like pretty much everyone who watched this season because that was it was a big deal to be after especially the first two seasons of oh can a can a woman win the amazing race and then this happens, and of course, then the answer becomes a very obvious, yes, a woman can win the Amazing Race. But in Flo's case, was it really a woman winning the Amazing Race or the one man doing so well that that the woman in the team just happens to be in the finish line with him? Like, was it really a victory of, oh, yes, women can win the Amazing Race now? Mm. 
or was it just awarded to her by by Zach? Was was Zach really the because? In the media, it was all, oh, Zach, $990,000 of it should go to Zach and then give Flo 10000 That's not really the audience buying into a woman winning the season. Even though it's awesome that Flo was the first woman to win the Amazing Race, but then it's like, ah, people are still going to put the asterisk beside her name because of what transpired. <laughs> I must admit, I do get great pleasure in reminding people on the Amazing Race subreddit that Flo was a groundbreaking character. And broke the glass ceiling of women winning the amazing race it brings me such joy to remind them that the character that they hate the most is actually the one who was revolutionary in this show and after this season it goes from can a woman win the amazing race to can two women win the same season of amazing race and that's a that's a that's an that that takes a it takes a long time to get a yes to that answer <laughs> or to that question <laughs> the answer is yes, but eventually. Eventually, and you need a lot of all-female teams cast at the same time who are really strong. No no dis- disrespect intended to Maurice and Brooke of season 13, but that's the type of team who gets cast a lot of the young blonde cheerleaders out of their element who do not do particularly well and just go home early, or you have the older female team who goes home early. I mean, I mean, it takes 10 seasons to even get an all-female team in the final three. Lynn and Carlin are the first ones to get in the final three, and they finish far away in third place in their season. And then we need another seven seasons after that for that next barrier of an all-female team winning the Amazing Race. Yeah, as much as people are incredibly justified to criticize Flo for some of her behavior during this season, you have to have a little bit of respect for her getting the W and being the first woman to cross that finish line in first place. That's my argument. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, I mean, look at amazing race Australia. You've had, depending on who you are and how many seasons you count, you don't see, yeah, there, there haven't been any women who have won amazing race Australia, Australia yet. No. And amazing race Canada has only had one team of all of all female winners, and I think what they've had five, five out of the seven winning teams have been all male teams. If for some reason, just these English speaking franchises just really struggle with redefault, reshaping their casting process and figuring out a way where it doesn't heavily favor co ed teams or all male teams, because in the beginning it really favored all male teams, and now it starts to favor co-ed teams more, especially now that they don't cast alpha male teams at all anymore. But yeah, there's still a big problem with trying to find women crossing the finish line. So Flo crossing the finish line first in season three was was, it was a big deal. How do you feel as the, the token woman on the podcast, Michelle? Yeah, you've had two men talking this whole time about it, disregarding your feelings and thoughts. <laughs> I can't get a word in. Yeah, we've mansplained about how iconic Flo's win is for all the female kind for long enough now. I know. Jesus. I forgot we had a woman on this podcast. I just I just blanked out for the past half hour. Oh, Jesus. Look, look, you know, I I did like her for the majority of the race. So there was only a couple of episodes there where she really put me in the wrong mindset to even liking her as a person. But, yeah, I can understand, yeah, we needed that. We needed her to, to win so that we can get away from the all-male thing. However, did she really win or was she like 
like a survivor goat being pulled to the end by her partner. Mm, look, she did she did a few things here and there which were quite clever and, and great, but I'm still in two minds whether her win is as great as you guys say it is. Obviously for the franchise, yes, but whether she was instrumental in getting to the win, not as sure, not as definite. The argument I will make on the survivor point is something that I always get downvoted for on Reddit, and that is you can only win Survivor or Big Brother in a jury format by following one simple rule, and that is making sure you are the one person that people in the jury can go to bed at night saying that they were beaten by. Nothing else matters. As long as you can convince those jury of 7, 9, 57, or whatever it has been on some of the American seasons recently, people, that you are the person that they would most like to say that they were beaten by out of the final 2, or 3, or 76, nothing else matters. Doesn't matter what else you do in the season, as long as you can prove to them that you deserve the win. And it's exactly the same in Amazing Race. Nothing else matters, really, that Flo did for the entire season. It matters that in the end, her and Zach got to the end first. And I suppose if for the cast, she is well-liked and she wasn't seen as much of as this creature that the rest of the world saw, um, particularly in those two or three episodes. So obviously the cast liked her and she wasn't divisive for them but just for everybody else. That's one thing I like about the cast is that the cast has always supported Flo over the past 19 years. You never hear them say, oh, Flo sucked. She was shit. I hate her. Fuck. You never hear that. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) I don't think you would anyway. Okay. Yeah, I guess not. No same person sounds like that 19 years later. I would argue that if at the time Amazing Race came down to a final jury vote of the final two teams, season three, 100% Flo and Zach would still win. Terry and Ian were so abrasive that despite them being brilliant characters, and believe me, we've got some stuff to say about them very soon, Flo and Zach would win a jury vote if Amazing Race was structured that way. But Amazing Race isn't structured that way, and they were still the first team to cross that finish line. Yeah, there's nothing about... Being the most, well, Zach was the most moral racer this season, essentially, but an amazing race, what the other teams think of you is completely irrelevant if you're the team that crosses the finish line first. It's not like you can get to the end of the race and then you have the nine teams form a circle around the finish line saying, nope, can't get through, can't get through. It's <laughs> they, they can't impact you that way. You can call them names, you can tell them how much they suck, you can spit in their face, and you can still win win the thing. Because they, they, can't, they can't stop you. Well, this is before U-turns, but in Season 3 they can't stop you. I would say even in U-turns, I don't think Flo and Zach would be a target. No, imagine in Vietnam you just watched her cry and threaten to quit 20 times. Who would U-turn her? <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, Terry and Ian probably would have got U-turned. Derek and Drew definitely would have in the early part of the season. Those would have been the main two targets for, for any U-turn, I would say. Yeah. If the U-turns existed this season, say there is a U-turn on leg three, the Twin Huntwood Alliance would have been like, okay, okay, so first team that gets to the board, U-turns Derek and Drew, and the second team who gets there, U-turns the the team that got to the U-turn board first, and then Derek and Drew go home in leg three. 
Well, except Dennis and Andrew would be 20 hours behind, so I guess they wouldn't, but that, that would be the plan. We'll ignore them. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about the season? Um, there was one thing I noticed, actually, when they were, the final three, they were getting they were getting out of the airport and they had to get in the car, and you noticed the fourth car there, which we haven't had in a while. Um, you know how they had the fourth team racing to the end as well. When did that stop? Very recently, it was 29 definitely had Matt and Redmond do it. So it's probably 30, 31. Okay, so only the last couple. And given the state of the world right now with how they fill a masonry, so I can't, I, I, see, I see that being a permanent uh, change in production. Yeah. So yeah, this season was obviously a delight to cover. Um, it was a very good choice for Mr. Saunders to, uh, to get us to do this one. You're welcome. The question is, what is next? And the answer is Vestimol 2022. Oh yeah, there's next, quote-unquote, quote next week. Yeah, this is, this is coming out on the 26th of December, and we will be releasing Vidum 22 from the 5th of January. So that is, what, about 10 days-ish? That's it for the year for us. Given that this is technically our Christmas episode that we're recording in September... There may be one present <laughs> left under the tree, but keep an eye out for that because we're not saying anything about it. It's still wrapped. Yeah, put it this way, Santa Saunders has brought you something, but he's not telling you what it is yet. It's still wrapped for another another few days. Yep. You have to be patient. Because, let's be honest, <laughs> it would be Santa Saunders because he is the most likely to be sneaking down your chimney at night. Oh, I have lost weight. <laughs> have you guys got anything else you want to say? Or can I wrap up this season? <laughs> No, that's it. It's done, son. It is. After 59 episodes this year, our recaps are done. Yay. Wow, what are you going to do? You have nothing else to do. <laughs> well, you know the answer to that, because we've already been talking about what we're recording for next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, thank you for listening to our final Amazing Race recap of the season. We'll be back very soon for more episodes. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsubquacky. Michelle is Beth 333 And I am MJ Harmstone. Logan and I are also back on Wednesday to conclude Feast of Mall, Oregon. See you next time. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye. <laughs>